Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Help. Uh, today's a difficult topic. Uh, one that's caused me to reflect upon and really work hard in my own personal life over the last couple of weeks. I've been thinking about it and when I initially thought about it, um, I'm never short of a sermon idea or two, came up blank because it was a, it's a deep and troubling issue and it's where do I go for help when there's pain in my life? Uh, we've all had pain in our life. So where do we go for help when there's pain in our life? And the question is, does God see our pain? And does he care about our pain? And if he sees and he cares, what does he do about our pain? Is God just some sort of a celestial observer that just likes to look at things that are happening that are tough in the world and not really intervene in those things? These are the kinds of questions that go through our head. Is he a God in heaven, but can he actually give us comfort here on earth? I was thinking about these things, and is it genuine comfort? Or is it just a set of ideas and quotes that we just hang on to that somehow if we believe in them strong enough, they'll come true? Make ourselves feel better. Does God make a real difference in the midst of my suffering? That's the kind of stuff that I've been really working hard on for the last couple of weeks in my thinking and in my reflection. So I'm going to pray for help because I don't know about you, but I'm going to take that video on board. I need help as I share this message Maybe we all need help as we wrestle with the idea of faith and pain and what it means to journey in that space. Heavenly Father, we just pray that you would be with us today. Be with those people, Heavenly Father, that are online, that are resonating with what we're already saying here today and thinking, yeah, I'm dealing with that too. So be with us, God, as we navigate your word and that we find in it some wonderful promises to unbox and to hold on to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this is the kind of sermon, sometimes I like to take my time, this is the kind of buckle up. And uh, we used to say back in the old days, sharpen your pencil, but nobody's done that unless you're at Office Works yesterday when apparently my grandson, which we bought all his supplies, needed a sharpener and a pencil. So get your stylus out, do whatever, buckle up. We're going to move fast through a lot of material today and I advise that you might be able to go back over this material and uh, you can look at it online or you can screenshot this thing. So I will assume you're not taking photos of me as a sort of like a reminder that I'm leaving today. But I'll assume that you're taking screenshots for you to reflect upon. Look, we all live in a, a very fallen and broken world. We live in a world there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain globally, nationally, societally and personally. Everybody here has been through or has a point of pain or several points of pain in their life at the current time. The world around us and the personal world that we have, we have fallen far from the way that God had created us to be. God had intended certain things for his creation and for humankind, but we have long since stepped away from and stepped down from uh, God's intention in that space. I want to say that pain... As a result of all of that, that pain is the unavoidable human experience common to everyone. That pain is the unavoidable 
human experience common to all people. So the question is this, how can we, how can we have faith that helps us navigate and respond to our pain? I want to, this is the statement I want to make today. I believe that God does comfort us in our pain. He avails himself to that. He comforts us and he calls us to comfort others. We are to be comforted and we are to be comfortors. God comforts us and calls us to comfort others. There's a wonderful, a wonderful verse in 2 Corinthians. I'm going to read the whole passage in a minute, but I just want to anchor my points in this. Look at what it says about the comfort uh, of God and the comfort from us. Blessed be the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which ourselves we are comforted by God. So note the two premises there. He is the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. Pull it back. Is that right? Okay, beauty. I moved too much, apparently. I'm a sound man's nightmare, apparently. The premise here is that God comforts us and he calls us to comfort others. But how does he do that? What about the comfort that we can receive? Well, I'm going to read this passage out to us. And uh, I just want you to follow through. And I want you to find out what it says about comfort. Look at Paul's distress. This guy was like an incredibly devoted follower of Jesus. But watch his journey through life. He wasn't given a free pass away from pain. I'm going to be reading from verse... 3 to verse 11 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so you will also share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself, said the apostle. We despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope and will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Note that. Then many will receive thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour God granted us in answer to the prayers of many. God answers the prayers of others. So this is the comfort that we receive. How do we do it? Well, we know that he is the God of all comfort the Father of all mercies, 
who comforts us in our affliction. So how does he do that? That's, that's a claim that the Bible makes. That's a claim that Paul makes. And, and here he is literally feeling. He's writing this in the context that he's feeling that he was under the death sentence. He was despairing of life itself. He was in deep, deep trouble and persecution and difficulty. Yet he said, there's a God of all comfort. How do we tap that? How do we access that? Well, I want to say that he is present in our trials. He is present in our trials. You know, there's the story of uh, three guys with unusual names, Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego in the Bible. And uh, the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, thought it would be a great idea to build this giant statue, probably about 30 metres tall, um, have it in gold or clad with gold. And he thought it would be a great idea that it, at the trumpet sound that everybody should bow down, get everybody out. Every, the trumpets will sound and everybody can bow down and worship this new God that I've made. Well, three guys just stood up like that in protest and refused to do it. So it was Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego. They were captive in Babylon, but they were followers of the God of the Bible. So they just stood there. They knew that when they stood for what they believed, they were going to get it in the neck. Make no mistake. They knew that they were making the king incredibly angry and that they knew that that was going to bring the wrath of the king on them. And this is their experience. So yes, just as they thought they were arrested, they were bound up. King Nebuchadnezzar, he's decided that what he's going to do is burn them alive. He's going to cremate them alive. That was his thought. So in Daniel 3, we read this. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, uh, weren't there three men we tied up and threw into the fire? Because that's what he did. He tied them up. He threw them into the fire. The men that threw them into the fire got so close to the flames that they were all killed. <laughs> the people who threw them in, it was such a blazing furnace that the people who threw these three guys in were killed. And yet when he looked in there, he looked into the furnace for the three guys, you would expect them to be dead too. Threw three men in. King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet and he said, weren't there, weren't there three men we tied up and threw into the fire? Yes, certainly, your majesty, your majesty. Look, I see four walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. I'd make this conclusion about that. That, that even when we're in the furnace of life, we are not alone. I believe this. There is a fourth one. There is Jesus with us even when the heat is unbearable. Even when it's enough that we think it's going to kill us. Even when life is so difficult and so unbelievable that we feel like we're being burned alive by the difficulties of life. Believe this, that Jesus Christ is with you in the furnace of affliction as you go through life's difficulties. He is with you. He will stand by you. He will get you through that. He will grant you the power to get through that. And he will enable you to stand on your faith. They stood for their faith. And as we stand, we don't stand alone. We stand and we endure with Jesus. Friends, you are not alone. You are not alone in the furnace of life's afflictions. There is one Son of God in the furnace with us. Amazing. Hebrews 13.5, one of my favourite verses. Uh, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Another Old Testament story is, of course, the story of Daniel where 
were uh, he ended up being thrown into a lion's den by the king of Persia, who was the king at that time, and uh, just thought he'd be just chewed up, but he wasn't. The lions didn't eat him. And it was very interesting that I was looking in my social media and my nephew, uh, he got himself a tattoo two days ago. As they do. As you do. Huh? He got a tattoo. And I looked at his tattoo and I said, what do you think this is? That was a good question. And I looked at it and it was a lion and a man standing beside the lion. It looked to me, I believe, it's Daniel in the lion's den, unharmed. Because that's what God can do. God can be with us in that situation, uh, even in a tattoo, and get it done like that. So, you know, God never leaves us. When Daniel went into the den thinking that he'd be torn apart by lions, God sent an angel and shut the lion's mouth. God can do incredible things for us. We're in the midst of difficulty. He'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. He's available 24-7. As I was reflecting, driving down this morning, that became more and more powerful to me. That of all the comfort that I've received, just knowing that God was with me 24-7, people can't be with you 24-7. Your best friends can't be with you 24-7. Your children, your spouse, they just need, sometimes they need to break from the pressure of difficulties. But God never leaves you. He... And I want to say this, never expect from a person what only God can do. Never expect from a person what only God can do. And he is the one that is available 24-7. When you wake up in the middle of the night and you're absolutely stewing over things that are going wrong in your life, the difficulties, and you're regurgitating them, you're bringing them through, God is there. You can talk to him. I found it unwise to nudge the wife and ask her her opinion. 3 a.m., not a good thing. Jesus is speaking to you. Listen up. All right? No matter when it is, when you wake up, when you rise, when you go to work, you can always speak to Jesus 24-7. He's listening. He's intent in his listening. Do not expect from others what only God can provide. And, you know, he can cop whatever we throw at him. God doesn't judge us. He doesn't reject us. He knows what we're feeling about him. Sometimes we get the ear. It's with God. Hallelujah. Yep. Just me. Okay. I get the I'll speak on my behalf. I get the irritants with God. Sometimes I want to tell God how to run the universe. Sometimes I tell God how to run my life. It doesn't really work that well, but nevertheless, sometimes I get angry at God. Do you know what? God already knows that. So whatever you're feeling towards God, it's no surprise to him when you say it. Say it. If you have a child and the child is angry with you and the child is thinking you've done the wrong thing or you won't get off your lazy tail end and do what you should do, do you want that child to just withdraw and go silent on you? You don't. You don't want your child to be moody and just go off and then treat you with a great distance and isolate from you from then on. You want that child to come and share what they're feeling and what they're thinking. And even if it's about you and you want them to work their feelings and their, their, their frustrations and their anger, even anger with you through with you. That's what God wants you to do. No matter what you're feeling about God, tell him about it because it's no news to God. He's not going to go, oh my goodness, you were feeling that about me. I didn't know. Whoa, whoa, you're, you're very hot. You're very hostile. God's not like that. God knows. 
unload the God. He's got broad shoulders. He can cop it because he wants to work with it in us, through us, and through it by our side. He understands our pain. You know, Jesus went to a funeral and he wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. In John 11, we read that when he saw her weeping, this is the sisters, friend Lazarus, their brother had died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews that had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and he was troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied, and Jesus wept. Then the, Jesus, and then the Jews said, see how he loved him. It's interesting, it's when he saw the weeping of the Jews and the weeping of the family that he was moved in spirit. And wept. We watched a funeral in line of somebody that I married, performed the marriage 15 months ago, had motor neuron disease. I was sent the link from New Zealand. They've asked me to gather the family in Australia. It was wonderful, but we're sitting there, my wife and I, and I go, we've just got tears rolling down our cheeks this week. And just sitting there. I knew that she was unwell when I married them. Jesus wept. He knows. And on the cross, he called out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want to say to you, you may never have heard that, that's a prayer of faith. Because he's saying to God, Where are you? What's going on in my life? He's being honest to God about his pain and isolation. He's not railing at God, he's just saying, I just don't get it. Why? I feel forsaken. Friends, we feel that sometimes. Come on. Sometimes you might have prayed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so the God, the Father, understands pain. He watched his son suffer and die. Pain that was incomprehensible. Um, The Father in heaven knows pain. How he did not unleash the fury of heaven on those people that were perpetrating violence against his son, I will never know. But he withdrew his hand of anger so that his son would be punished. Not for his crimes, but for our sins. Amazing love. God cares deeply about our pain. Psalm 56, 8 in the New Living Translation uh, says, You keep a track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. That's a beautiful verse. Psalm 56, 8. And he gives us the strength to endure. Paul writes further on in the chapter of the book that we were reading before. He said, my grace, my undeserved favour, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and difficulties because when I am weak, I am strong because we are strong in him. I want to say this. It is the, res- it is the reliant Christian that is the resilient Christian. It is those who rely on him that become resilient. When it's getting hot, we need to be relying on him. He offers grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. This verse I go back to again and again like a water well that quenches my deepest 
needs. It says, let us approach the throne of God's grace with confidence that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We approach God's throne of grace, his undeserved mercy. You know, sometimes I want to I pray prayers of justice. I just want fire to rain on some people, you know. I've got a long list. My wife is surprised what comes out of my mouth. It is a long list of people that I believe God needs to correct. I'm not opposed to fire. I'm not opposed to lava coming out of a volcano and smiting them. I'm not even opposed to the earth opening up and swallowing them up like a bullfrog and a fly. I'm happy to have all of the above. Bring it on, Lord. They need justice. The reality is that a lot of the suffering in my life has been my own doing. I want to look at my life. The problem with my life is me. So there are times instead of breathing, want to bring down the fire of God on people that I think deserve it. You know, I think what I need to do is I need to go to the throne of mercy. I need grace and help and mercy in my time of need. And sometimes that's just what we need. We've got to admit that we've blown it. We've got to admit that we've done wrong. Things have not gone well. And so sometimes I just need to say, God, I need your grace. I need your mercy and I need your help. And I don't need justice. I just need your love, grace and mercy. That's a good prayer to pray. And he promises the ultimate victory, even when it's over death. Swallowed up in victory, Corinthians tells us. Even through the valley of the shadow of death, he walks us through that. Until we get to the end and he has, we have a banqueting feast waiting for us. It's interesting in Psalm 23, which talks about that, and I'd recommend you read verses 4 to 6. He walks us through the value of the shadow of death. He has set a table before us and before our enemies, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord and feast. Um, I've been to quite a few weddings and quite a few wedding feasts. And my last church was... was uh, cross-cultural, multi-ethnic church, which was fantastic. And I went to some, a Chinese wedding. And uh, they had a banquet, like oodles of, oodles of courses. Well, I didn't know that. The first three courses came out and I just went like fury. <laughs> I just thought, I'm, I'm going to be in for my... I'm going to be in here. I'll tell you what. I'm going to smack that down. And then, you know, I just gorging myself on the first three courses. And then there was, and then there was a fourth course and a fifth course. And, and I'm going... <laughs> I'm going to undo the belt, you know, and, the, and they kept on coming and they kept on coming and they kept on coming and it was just, it was just the most awesome and incredible experience of generosity and food. I want to say that even in those circumstances where no expense was paid, that sort of a feast is nothing but an RSL um, line where you line up and you just get your food slapped on a plate compared to heaven. It is just like, it's just like compared to heaven, even the greatest feast on earth is an RSL buffet. <laughs> you're going to have it, 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 and you're going to have it, and you will all dwell in the house of the Lord forever if you love and follow Jesus throughout your whole life and remain faithful Him right up to your last breath. Hallelujah. Is there anyone in the house?
Christians. That's what's waiting for us. We have the victory. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. The wonderful, no mind conceive of what God has given to us. So we receive so many comforts. And we are, of course, to comfort others. We are to be present with them in their trials. You know, Job in the Old Testament was a guy, he was just stripped of everything. Lost his family, lost his children, lost his, all his possessions. And he had three friends with unpronounceable names. So I'm not going to pronounce them. Because I will for surely get them wrong. This is what his friends did. When Job's three friends with unpronounceable names heard about all these troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes. They met together by agreement. That's important. And they go to sympathize with him and to comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. They sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights and no one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. When someone is suffering, most often they don't need your pious platitudes and advice. They need your loving presence. They don't need clever talk. They just need you to be present and to love them and to care for them. We need to listen with our hearts as well as our ears. The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Uh, I've been called into many situations where people's lives have been lost, young and old. And I remember just going into the uh, ward of a, of a baby that was stillborn. And I uh, loved these people greatly. And uh, they were broken. We were all broken. They didn't need me to act pastoral and come up with smart aleck comments. I sat like a crumpled heap against the wall with my hands around my knees and I just cried with them. They say they never forgot that. They say that was the best ministry that I've ever done. None of my sermons, none of my advice, none of my clever talks or PowerPoints or anything else like that. The thing that they remind, remain with them is the fact that I walked in there and I was broken hearted with them. And I sat and I cried with them because what is needed is people's loving presence. We need to be present. We need to feel it. We need to weep with those who weep. We need to rejoice with those who rejoice. So life's not always on the downside. You know, we need to pray, pray with them. My mother-in-law, my wife was down minding my mother-in-law. Uh, she's in her mid-90s. And she's been a saint all life. She's been a wonderful, godly woman as her mother was, as her daughters are, and as the grandchildren, many of the grandchildren are as well. She's been a wonderful woman. Uh, I've called her mum since 1979. So she's been that space for me. She's very frightened at the moment. She, her faculties are failing her. She was very frightened and alone. I got a text message from my wife saying, Mum's very frightened. She doesn't know where she is or what's going on. Would, can you ring and pray with her? So on Thursday this week, I just rang up. She put me on speakerphone. And I just prayed really simply but very powerfully and very deliberately that she would know God's peace 
and her presence and his presence in the midst of her confusion. It wasn't long. I just reminded her of the promises in Philippians 4, 6 to 7. It wasn't long. It wasn't erudite. It was simple, plain prayer of faith. A prayer of faith that she would find the peace that passes all understanding. We need to, you can pray with a person like that. Pray for them. Pray with them. We need to show acts of kindness. We need to text and visit and make meals, give cards, drive them to wherever they can if they can't drive themselves. Help around the house if they're incapacitated. We need to offer long-term support, particularly when it comes to the passing of a loved one. Everybody seems to fade away after about six weeks. That's what the research shows. Don't be a fade-away friend. Stay faithful. Stay true. Continue to talk about the deceased. They haven't forgotten them. Don't you forget them either. Speak about your memories about them. Mention the loved one by name. So that's what we have. We have received much comfort. The Bible offers us much comfort from God. And we uh, are called to give comfort. And I've given five ideas about how we might give that comfort. As the scripture says, Blessed be the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of God, of all mercies, God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Isn't that, isn't that just an amazing thing. So we are comforted and we uh, comfort others with that same. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.